0: the challenge, all right? If you want to to change, if you want to be a little bit more like Jesus, see, you sang it, I sang it, it's a little harder to do. My challenge is for all of us to start putting at least as much effort, at least as much, into changing our attitudes as we do in changing our circumstances. See, you can't control your circumstances. You try, we try, but they spin out of control often. But you can control your attitude, and your attitude can change everything despite your circumstances. Now, what I'm trying to deal with in this series is not just some kind of do-goodism, feel-goodism kind of thing. Oh, just, you know, turn that frown upside down. Have a positive outlook. That's not what this is about. In the life of Jesus... And in the lives of those who have followed God over the millennia, there are very specific attitudes. We are told to either emulate, be like this, or we're told don't be like that, avoid that attitude. So here's what we're going to do today. We're going to talk about an attitude that we should have and an attitude we shouldn't have, very specifically delineated in Scripture. C.S. Lewis described this attitude. Here's what he said. It's an attitude of which no man in the world is free. That means everyone has this problem. Everyone loathes it when they see it in someone else, and hardly anybody ever imagines that they themselves are guilty of it. He said, I've heard people admit that they're bad-tempered. I've heard people admit that they can't keep their heads about girls or drink. I've even heard people that admit that they're cowards, but I don't think I've ever heard anyone who accused himself of this. And at the same time, I have very seldom met anyone who showed the slightest mercy to it in others. There is no fault that makes a man more unpopular, and no fault which we are unconscious of in ourselves, or we are more unconscious of in ourselves. Listen, the more we have of it ourselves, the more we dislike it in others. He said that this attitude, has been the chief cause of misery in every nation and every family since the world began. This is why we're doing it today, week one, in a sense of specific attitudes. He said, it leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. Does anybody know what this attitude is? Pride. Pride. The complete anti-God attitude. Lewis concluded, he said, according to Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil, is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, all that, he said, are mere flea bites into comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It's the complete anti-God state of mind. When Lewis talks about the devil becoming the devil, he's referencing um, an Old Testament scripture in the book of Jeremiah. He was a prophet. And, and the prophet recorded these words. If you're not familiar with kind of the story of this enemy, the scripture says, that is afoot in our world. There was once an angelic being so beautiful uh, that it, 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 he began to think that he could rival God. In fact, his words were recorded by Jeremiah. This is what He said, He said, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly on the utmost heights of the sacred mountains. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Anybody notice any commonality in all of those claims? I. I, me, me, I will. I'll raise my, I'll be the best, the first, the greatest. See, this is the attitude that has been tripping up humanity ever since the garden, right? Uh, the devil comes and goes that I will make myself like the most high and then comes to Adam and Eve in the garden and says, you know, would you like to be like God? Because you could be. See, it's still tripping you and I up in 2018 in Mendham, New Jersey. See... I have to tell you can I just tell you I really I really want to be the best I really do like I would really like to be better-looking than every single one of you (laughs) I mean I look out I'm I'm probably better looking than most of you but (laughs) 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 kidding (laughs) see only an ugly person can actually say that (laughs) here's the deal I I do at my core right I want to be more powerful Wealthier, richer, funnier, cooler. I'm going to do everything I can, you know, to raise up my throne. I mean, you do that too. Now, this is deep in us. Like, you feel it. You know it. But here's what's interesting. Paul, who writes most of the New Testament, says of Jesus, he goes, you need a change of attitude about this. Here's what your attitude should be like. He says, have this attitude, which was in Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, he didn't regard equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself and he took on the form of a servant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the most painful humiliating kind of death on a cross. Now, let me give you, can I give you just a little bit of a Greek thing that's pretty cool here? If you just stick with me a minute, I think it's actually fascinating. That phrase, and if you'd leave that up, guys, existed in the form of, right? That Christ Jesus existed in the form of God. You sometimes see that like an NIV, it'll be translated as the word be, being in very nature God. If you take that participle being, some would argue that because of the way that that Greek participle runs, it should be translated differently it should be translated like this your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus who precisely because he was in very nature God did not consider equality with God to be grounds for grasping but poured himself out taking on the nature of a servant and I love this because this is what it means it means that Jesus did not take on simply an outward form of a servant It means that Jesus didn't come in the form of a servant. He wasn't disguising who God is. He was revealing who God is. One writer said this. He goes, I remember hearing a Christian speaker say once that pride is forbidden to human beings, but it's okay in God because after all, he's God. This is wrong. God is the infinite servant. God is the most humble being in all of the universe. Jesus did not come as a servant in spite of the fact that he's God. He came and was a servant precisely because of the fact that he is God. Now, this is really where it gets crazy. So, you know what that means? That means that God is humble and I'm not. That's crazy. See, when, when you start to really investigate pride in your life and start to, to try to shine a light on what drives some of your decisions, it, it, you start to realize you have an attitude problem, an attitude that needs adjusting. We are much more like uh, what were called the three Christs of Yps- Ypsilanti. Anybody ever, ever hear about the study of the three Christs of Ypsilanti? Kind of a psychological study by, not done by a guy named Milton Rokeach. He wrote about this. It was three guys, a true story Leon, Joseph, and Clyde. They all suffered from a Messiah complex. And this is not just like a little touch of narcissism or or a dash of grandiosity. They were three chronic psychiatric patients, and they they were institutionalized at a hospital in Michigan. And they were all diagnosed, medical conditions, psychiatric, delusional disorder, grandiose type. And each of these guys maintained that he was the reincarnation of Jesus Christ. Each of them believed they were the central figure whom the whole world revolved around, these three little messiahs. Now, Rokic wrote, A psychological study about his attempts to get these guys to come to grips with the truth about themselves and learn that they they were just leon joseph and clyde he spent two years working with them but change came hard and and with little to lose he decided after a while to try a new experiment he put the three men into one small group for two years these three delusional messiahs were assigned to adjacent beds for two years, these, these guys ate every meal together. They worked together at the same job. They met daily for group discussions because he wanted to see if rubbing up a Messiah to a Messiah might diminish this delusion. The experiment led to interesting conversations. One day, one of the men claimed in, in group, I am the Messiah, the Son of God. I am on a mission. I was sent here to save the earth. Rokich and group looked at him and said, well, how do you know that? And he said, God told me. One of the other patients would raise their voice and go, I never told you any such thing. (laughs) It's pretty funny. Now, most of us don't believe we're the messiahs of the world. But there is in all of us a little bit of this concept of we all think the world revolves around us. I was at a track meet yesterday. I just want to give a shout-out to the person in the room that I met there that told me, don't worry about getting suntan lotion because the UVA, UV rays are very low, you'll never get burned on a day like today. <laughs> I can't feel my face. <laughs> Let me go on. <laughs> uh, ba, 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 ba. We all face these similar battles, right? I was at that track, me. I'm watching these kids go by, and, I, and, and you see these high schoolers, and all of them are walking by thinking about themselves, I'm just studying them, because I'm working on this talk, and every kid's like, I wonder how I look, I wonder how I'm going to do, I've got to be the best, I've and you could see, you know, you can see the weight and the pressure on them, you could see their insecurities, and all of a sudden I start to go, wait a minute, I'm doing the same thing about myself, I'm wondering about how I look while I'm watching them thinking about how they look, right? I mean, this is really, it's really quite deep in us. Lewis said this is our deepest issue. We want so much for the world to revolve around us. We want the superior position to win, to have the best, to be the best. It's the pride, he said, that leads to every other vice. Other vices, think about this, can bring people together. Where do you find great relationships, fun, love, harmony? I mean, go go hang out with the drunks at the bar, right? There's a wonderful community there, right? Gamblers in the casino? Gangsters in the back room? But pride always means hostility and separation and brokenness, both in our relationships with each other and in God, because God is humble and we are not. Think about what this does. This is, this is so important to understand. A couple, right? I had a friend tell me the other day, they've been divorced for some time and it ruined their family, and they said, well... I really wanted to go to counseling with my husband. I asked him for 15 straight years, could we please go to counseling, could we please go to counseling, could we please go to counseling? And, and every time the husband would go, no, I'm not going to counseling, I'm not going to counseling, until finally the divorce papers were just about signed and he came home and he said, fine, I'll go to counseling. And she said, I have no feelings left for you anymore. Because he was too proud to go to counseling. Friendships explode because one individual's pride keeps them from admitting a mistake and saying, you know, just saying, I'm sorry. How many relationships get broken just because somebody won't go and say, I'm just, I'm sorry? Businesses, business people, right? Pride, we refuse running our businesses to take any advice. We recklessly pursue courses of action that we think are right because we don't listen to anybody else. And companies go under. What fuels more fights in marriages, right? Finances. Think about what's behind much, many of the bankruptcies in the world. I mean, why do our finances get messy? Well, we, you know, we've got to have a certain house, a certain car, a certain school for our kids. Kids got to go to that, that kind of school, even if we can't afford it. The crazy sport parent, right, pushing the kid. You've got to be great, because it makes me look really good when you're good. The guy yelling at the ump, right, from behind the backstop. What's driving that? What's fueling it? Pride. One of the most famous proverbs in the Bible, everybody knows it, you go to church person or not. Pride cometh before the fall. fall. It's interesting, right? Because that's a historical truth. Pride is what got Adam and Eve, it came before the fall. But it's also a relational truth. Pride sets us up for falls in our own lives. And it's because it's so core to our nature, it's the center of our brokenness, it's poisonous to our relationships with each other and with God. Through the centuries, those that have known God have warned us more about pride than perhaps anything else. In fact, warning is not a strong enough word. God himself is love, but God hates. Here's what Proverbs 6 says. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance. Proverbs 7 says this. There are six things the Lord hates. No, seven things he detests. And so the Proverbs writer is hearing from God. He's going to write down the things that God hates. Now, if, I, if prior to coming in here this morning, if I said to you guys, all right, list for me the things that God hates, what would you say? Well, murder. Um, you know, we'd come up with some other things. The number one thing in the list of things that God hates, those who are too proud. Why? Because he loves you. And pride is killing you. Now, let me give you a real moment of sobriety here, understanding how dangerous pride is. I have to warn most of you in the room, you are at greater risk for pride than maybe anybody who has ever lived. This is a bigger issue for you than almost anybody, and I'm going to give you two reasons why. The first reason is related to where and when we are living. Sitting at the track meet yesterday, you know... Going to track meets is like watching grass grow. And uh, I'm sitting there and trying to kill like an hour and a half in between events. And Joan had her phone out. The Long Valley Patch article comes up. The 20 least educated towns in New Jersey. Well, got to click on that, right? Um, So, you know, boop right in. Now, what's the first thing I'm looking for when I go to that list? Is to ensure that Long Valley, New Jersey is not in that list. Why? Because I don't want to feel uneducated. So I quickly run through that list and see Long Valley's not there. I take a deep breath (sighs) and I go back to the top of the list so I can enjoy laughing at all these other buffoon towns now (laughs) that are uneducated, right? We live, guys, you live in Morris County, New Jersey one of the wealthiest, most educated, successful communities full of people that have ever dwelt in the history of the face of the earth. That's the truth. And all of these accomplishments and successes, they're so often fueled by this competitive nature and what lies underneath it is this deep level of pride. This is why we, we make more money so we can spend more money and, and take on more debt and, and, and anxiety and, and worry. It's like, it's like in, this, in these towns that we live in, it, this pride it's like pride on steroids for us. But second, I'm going to give you another reason why you're in more trouble than most. Here's the reason. Most of us in this room, many of us in this room would say, well, I'm a Christian, I'm I'm trying to follow Jesus. Most of us would be described by others as religious people. And and as the history of the church shows, there ain't no pride worse than religious pride. That was the pride that put Jesus on the cross. That is the pride that to this day still longs to crucify anybody who threatens to disagree or, or even push against the status quo. We tend by our nature to bring this pride element into our faith. And thus we become modern-day Pharisees in search of a tax collector. It's so crazy. We bear this name of Jesus. We walk around saying we're Christians. and, And by that very definition, we follow a humble God and we can be the least humble people on the face of the earth. Now, how do you fix this if it's so dangerous? It's painful. I'm telling you, if you want to work on this, and I'm begging you to work on it because it could change everything in your life. If you want to fix this, and, and this is going to be like holding a, your head underwater because your pride is going to scream for air, you've got to do a couple things. The first thing you have to do is you have to own the fact that you're, you're a proud person and you're struggling with pride. We all have pride problems. One form of pride, you know what we need? We need a mass confession of our pride issues. So that's what we're going to have this morning. Join me in the confessional booth for a moment. That's what we're going to do. We're going to look at a couple elements here. Uh, Jeremiah, another Old Testament prophet said, this is what the Lord says, let not the wise boast of their wisdom or the strong boast of their strength or the rich boast of their riches. One other proverb says, boasting or bragging is looking for trouble this boasting issue, right? Speaking about people who are focusing on their appearance, their image, their accomplishments, the way they're perceived. John Ortberg put it this way. He said, if you, now, see I'm reading John Ortberg saying this because this is going to bother you and you can email John Ortberg when I'm done. He said, if you exercise in spandex ever, you probably have this problem. I actually thought about it. When I first started going to the gym, I would wear these big fluffy clothes. And the better shape I got, the the more comfortable, right, the other way I went with what I was wearing to the gym. If you work out at a gym where there are mirrors on the wall and you watch, you probably have this problem. Okay, here's the best one. If you get pictures back, now, have anybody seen the way our kids take pictures on their cell phones? It's just, you know, back in the day, right, like you had a flashbulb and you could only take one picture of the moment, and that was it? Now it's like, okay, take a picture. How many pictures do they take? Like 30 of the same thing. Why? <laughs> Which one do I look the best in, right? Now, I, I, I watch it all the time with my kids, but the other day I was at my dad's house for the Masters. It's like a little thing we do. We watch the last round of the Masters together. So my stepmother took a picture of me, my dad, and my, uh, my son watching the Masters, and she took three, and guess what I did? <laughs> I didn't care how stupid my dad looked. The one I was the best in was the one that went on Facebook. If you go on Facebook, you'll see me. I looked as good as 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 possible. My poor dad, well, I mean, things happen. Right? But this is our pride issue. You see it everywhere. (coughs) Let me ask you a question with that in mind. By show of hands, mass confessional, how many of you would say that at least sometime in your life you tend to be a little bit self-preoccupied about your appearance or some other aspect of who you are? Raise your hand if that's true. See, doesn't that feel good? You have a pride issue. So just own it. Like, look, I'm pri- I got a pride thing. Now, let's keep going. They get more fun. Stubbornness, the Bible talks about. This is what the scriptures say. Whoever stubbornly refuses to accept criticism will suddenly be destroyed beyond recovery. Right? Our stubbornness gets born out of pride, refusing to be corrected. This is a big one for me. I hate correction, and so I tend to become defensive. I have this mentor in my life that he speaks into, it, and he tells me things that I need to hear, and I don't like these things usually. Um, and one of them, I'm not going to tell you the other things he said to me, because frankly, they're offensive. But this one, <laughs> one he said to me, he goes, you have a problem, you are way too defensive. And I am. I don't like to be shown something I've done wrong or something that's wrong in me. I hate corruption. Somebody shows you an error or a flaw, yeah, maybe you evade it. Maybe you deny it. Or worse yet, your initial response is to come back what's wrong with them, right? Hey, Court, you didn't, uh, you didn't take the pot out of the coffee pot. Well, Dad, there's seven dishes you left in the sink, right? I mean, don't we do it all the time, right? Like Joan will say to me, could you please pick up this and put it in the laundry And what's my initial response is, like, well, yeah, well, how about you unplug the stupid hair thing that falls on my foot every morning, right? (laughs) Like, this is just in us. It comes out. We're defensive. I mean, the problem when you're dealing with a defensive person is, when you try to point out that he or she is defensive, guess what they get? (laughs) Defensive. It's very difficult to get past that. Good news is, if you struggle with this one, the good news for you is you've probably actually never been wrong in your life, right? So, you're, you're good. Now, here's the deal. Quick show of hands. How many of you sometimes wrestle with being defensive? Raise your hands if you wrestle with defensiveness. Okay? How many of you are sitting next to someone who wrestles with some level in their life of defensiveness? And by the way, all of you that didn't raise your hand, we actually now know what you suffer with because you are defensive. What does pride do? Pride fuels our desire to be a controlling person. But the scriptures say we should submit to one another. Paul says, let me show you, let me make it bluntly how Christ lived, the attitude he had, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Instead of trying to control or climb the ladder or get to the top... We're supposed to submit to one another, but controlling people, we have a hard time doing this, right? I mean, we walk around the office, well, if I want something done right, I guess I got to do it myself. Can't hand the reins over to anybody. You always have to be in charge. You always have to make the decision. Well, honey, I always let you choose where we're going to dinner, right? But do you let her choose where you're going on vacation or what you're investing in or kind of car you're going to buy as a family? Raise your hand if any of you deal with control issues. I, I need to be in control. I struggle with this need. And of course, here's the last one. This is my favorite one. It's, it's, it's a command of Jesus. It's got to be the least obeyed command ever written in, in the Bible. Jesus famously said, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. Now, if this is you, and this is deep in us... For the world, the world for you is just like a giant movie, and for some reason, you feel as if you have been hired to be a critic, right? You just, you just have to somehow chime in. You can't control it. You just got to tell somebody what they're doing wrong, right? It's just, I can't help it. I'm just trying to help. You know, one of your favorite phrases is, well, it might not be my business, but, right? We fall into that one easily. Our first response, no matter what, is, you know, it's called sometimes a critical spirit. Somebody brings up an idea. If you have a critical spirit, watch this. You'll start to notice your first reaction is, no, that won't work. Or, uh, or let me show you what's wrong with that. You should do it this way instead. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your, ha- your hands for this one because I don't want you to be judged. <laughs> but <laughs> this would be a great question for you to ask your spouse or your kids. You know, am I judgmental? Or the people that work for you people that work for me we won't be doing this one but (laughs) now we could go on all day there's a lot of deep issues here right but the road to humility starts when you acknowledge you know what maybe I do have a pride issue but the goal is to have the attitude of Jesus which was humility let me give you this definition for humility it is an accurate self-appraisal responsiveness to the opinion of others and a willingness to give praise to others before claiming it for oneself the humble person accepts their imperfections, sins, and failures, and acknowledges their gifts, abilities, and achievements that have come from God. Now listen, humility is not like, oh, I'm such a loser, I'm so ugly, I'm so unpopped. That's not humility. That's a counseling need, right? <laughs> humility It's not self-negation or the rejection of all of your God-given strengths and ability. Humility involves a grateful dependence on God and a realistic appraisal of your strengths and your weaknesses. C.S. Lewis put it best when he said, Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. So, step one. You've got to acknowledge you've got a, a pride problem. Here's step two. You need to take proactive measures. You will never stop being proud and you will never grow humble unless you actively work on it. Here's what Jesus said. Those who exalt themselves, which is what we do by our nature, will be humbled. But those who humble themselves, proactive, go after it. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. Peter said, humble yourselves under God's hand and he will lift you up. James, Jesus' brother... Can you imagine having your brother as actually the savior of the world? This would be quite humbling, right? <laughs> he writes, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. If you want to fix this issue, you've got to adopt a new mantra into your life. You've got to eat right. You've got to exercise regularly and you've got to humble yourself daily. Daily, you've got to work on it like the gym you got to get up in the morning and go, what am I going to do today to humble myself? Let me give you a couple quick suggestions as we close. Suggestion number one is Proverbs 27. Let someone else praise you and not your own mouth, an outsider and not your own lips. Sometime this week, you are going to be attempt- tempted to impress somebody with your own accomplishments, your, lick, your, your looks, your wit, your success, or your spirituality. It's a conditional response. I was at a track meet yesterday. I had a friend come up to me and say, oh, you did track? Were you any good? (laughs) Now, I could have just said, I was okay, but no. I whipped out my track resume and went through it for the person right on the spot. I didn't have to, but it's just in there. Here's here's this principle. Here's the principle we're going to embrace for this week, okay? When somebody tells you something about your wit, or ask you a question about your successes, right? Here's what I want you to do. There's no kids in here. They're up in children's ministry. When somebody does something, you feel the need to come back with a conditional response. You know, somebody says, well, I saw this on television. You start your response. Well, I don't usually watch that much television. But here's the new deal. When you feel that coming, this is the principle. It's a two-word principle. Shut up. (laughs) Just shut up. Don't talk about yourself. Let them go on and on and on. Just shut up. And you know when you do, you know what you will feel deep inside of you? Pride screaming, I need air, let me out. I can tell them about how great I am, right? Nobody needs to know what college you went to or how much you, you know, just please. And this is an exercise, because you're gonna feel it. Just shut up. Just think to yourself when they do it this week. I'm just gonna shut up. All right, another way to do this is, is you're gonna be tempted this week to judge somebody. You're going to be tempted to have an, eva- an evaluation of somebody who did the wrong thing, said the wrong thing, wore the wrong thing, practiced the wrong thing. It's just going to be so overwhelming, right? Like you're going to be sitting on the, you're going to be sitting, I don't know, at a baseball game and you're going to see somebody with like plumber's crack, right, in front of you and you're going to want to take your phone out and snap that, and, <laughs> right? And put it on Facebook, right? You know you want to do that. You know what drives that? Pride. Right? When that temptation comes up, you've got to remember what Jesus says about the various forms pride takes. And together we can say in my mind, you know what I'm going to do right now with my Facebook? I'm going to shut up. You're going to be tempted this week to go first, merge into traffic first, take the last cookie, the best slice. You ever notice what you do with bread? You ever go to get a piece of bread from your family's loaf of bread? What, what piece do you take? The middle piece. The butt end can get left for one of those other losers, right? I'm getting the middle slice. Nobody takes the first slice. This is what we do. You're going to be tempted, right, to move up. Like when I go to baseball games, it's like I have this thing. i got to keep moving up. I can't just sit in the seat. i got to get up closer. Jesus knew it. He said this. He, goes, he, he talked about a dinner party he was at. He said he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table when they came in. And he said, look, when someone invites you to a wedding feast, don't take the place of honor. A person more distinguished might have been invited. And if so, the host who invited both of you is going to come and say, give this person your seat. And then humiliated, you're going to have to go to the least important place. But when you're invited, take the lowest place. So that when your host comes, he'll say, friend, move up to a better place. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all the other guests. And guess what he says again, guys? For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled Those who humble themselves, you practice it. You practice it. They'll be exalted. Put it into place this week. Here's a little mantra. Don't take the last one. Don't take the best one. A couple quick ones. Here's a simple one. This week you're going to be tempted to to criticize or offer your opinion on how it could be done better or what somebody else is doing wrong that needs fixing. Here's the exercise. Don't. You know, there's the shut up thing again. Just hear it in your head. Just shut up. For others, you're going to take some criticism this week. You know what? Just take it. Reflect on it. Think about what there's probably some truth in it. Don't be defensive. I know she leaves her dishes on the counter, but you could pick your socks up. There's some history there. Anyway, (laughs) here's the last two. These two, if you do these, this'll drive, this is like, this'll crush pride like crazy. I know it. it's true. You actually have cards in front of you in the seat backs. You could fix some pride problems right now this morning if you really want to take this seriously, okay? Here's the first one there's a a card in front of you called Give. Jesus said, when you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the street. You want to humble yourselves? I'm totally serious about this, okay? I'm not blowing smoke. You want to humble yourselves? Go give away a big chunk of money, like a significant amount of money. And don't tell anybody you did it, no one. Ooh, that will be so hard. I'm telling you, I know I started beyond the walls because I gave a guy $20 on the street in Manhattan. I couldn't stop talking about it. I told everybody I was out with that day, did you see that guy? I gave him 20 bucks. I just kept doing it, right? It was 20 bucks, right? You could, I mean, look, if you, for a couple things, right? Just quick, God doesn't need your money. We talked about that. He doesn't need your money. God has plenty of money, right? And if you don't want to give it here, that's fine. Don't give it here. But if you want to try to start working on your pride, give a, something that would be significant to you that has a cost of money away, and don't say a word. That's how you humble yourself. One last one. This will kill pride, too. Jesus called, called them together, and he said, look, Here's how the world works. The rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. Their high officials exercise authority over them. Not with you guys. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you has got to be a servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life away as a ransom for many. I mean, just as a pastor, if you're visiting our church today or you've only been here a few times, I hope you are are finding God here, sensing God here, growing towards God here. I'm very excited about what God is doing in our church. If you've been here for a while, but you're still, every Sunday morning you drive in and you wave at that poor sucker in the rain in the parking thing, right? And you, you, you immediately start trying to find, I wonder what the, where the, is the parking spot closer to the door? This is ridiculous how far I have to park here this morning. And you walk in past the wonderful greeter who welcomes you. And you walk over and grab some coffee from the person that got up early and came and got it for you. And you drop your kids off in children's ministry. And you come down and sit here. And then you go home. I think you might have missed this. You, you, you might have a pride problem. Uh, there's a card in front of you that talks about engaging. Like, honestly, guys, I gotta be honest with you. Like, we, with a church this size, we should have so many people signed up to serve. Like, we should be getting cards all the time. What would be like the least, uh, most anonymous thing I could do, that no one would know that I did? Some of you, by the way, do do this, and you're awesome. I showed up at work the other day. We had uh, some trees taken down in the front of the one house, and all of the stumps were ground. I have no, I didn't ask them to be ground. In fact, that I didn't even want them ground. No, that's not true. I did want them ground. But they've just done, gone. I don't know who did it. I have an idea because he does stuff like that all the time, but didn't, just did it. Guys, you should serve. I mean, if you don't want to serve here, serve somewhere else. But, you know, there's two kind of things you hear in churches all the time. I've been in churches since I was 18 years old. Two complaints in the church all the time. The kitchen's a mess. It's always a mess, right? Because nobody wants to clean it up because somebody else will clean it up, right? Um, and, and there's not enough volunteers in children's ministry. I mean, can I just be honest, guys? They're your kids, we should, we, should be, we should be trying to tell you to get out of children's ministry, not trying to get you to be in it. Serve. Ban, come up. Understand this. when Anytime you serve, you build the kingdom of God. None of that stuff gets lost. Very impressive people do very impressive things in the world, but all that stuff one day is going to burn up like straw. It's going to be forgotten. It's going to be confined to the ash the heap of history. No one will care. But here's what I promise you. No act of servanthood in the name of Jesus, not the least, will ever be forgotten. Nobody parking cars, nobody's not serving kids, welcoming guests, making coffee, working the sound. Guys, not one of those things that you do in anonymity will be lost. Not one humble act of service will go unrewarded. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God... You have to be the servant of all. Father, we have pride issues. Sometimes it's it's all a blessing. I mean, we're just such a blessed people that it clogs us all. Would you, Lord, through these, these concepts that you've taught over the millennia, help us to begin to humble ourselves so that one day we too might be exalted. In the great name of Jesus.